Well, good morning, you guys. Uh, we are thankful you guys have returned. We've missed you guys over the winter break, and we are thankful you guys are back here with us uh, for the spring and for a new year. Uh, for those of y'all who are visiting for the first time, uh, my name is Trey Coy. I'm a college pastor here. At Grace Bible Church, we're uh, one church, but two locations. So some of y'all may have been to our Anderson campus. This is our Southwood campus, and uh, it's the same experience, both sites, just kind of a different feel and a smaller feel, hopefully. And so we're glad you're here with us. We're glad you're part of our family, and we'd love for you guys to uh, just feel welcomed here. Uh, we're going to be starting a new semester and a new series this spring. And I was kind of thinking that in many ways, a new semester and a new year is a lot like a new sporting season. And so as the team reassembles, as the team begins a new year, hopefully the Cowboys will not be ending a new year this year, uh, this Sunday afternoon. But as a team begins a new season and a new year, they begin back and go all the way back to the fundamentals and the basics. And so for a baseball team, they begin to field ground balls. They begin the basics of batting. For a football team, they begin the basics of tackling, the basics of running and catching and throwing. And for every sporting team, they begin all the way back to the fundamentals and the basics before they move on to those advanced things. This spring semester, we're going to actually go through a series that really is going to be, in a sense, uh, difficult questions. We're going to tackle, week after week, some of the most challenging and difficult issues that are out there that have come at Christianity. Uh, we're going to come at and attack some of the most theologically challenging questions. We're going to look at some of the most challenging social issues in our day. We're going to look at issues from, from one end of sex to another end of abortion to another end of politics. We're going to go all over the map this spring. And we're going to hit a lot of difficult issues, but I thought before we go there, before we kind of hit that off and we'll start there next week, I wanted to kind of go all the way back to the fundamentals and the basics, the things that really define spiritual life. Because before we can get to the advanced things, I think we really need to make sure we refresh on the basics. In many regards, the fundamentals for many times are not just basic and elementary. They can actually determine life and death. Um, now, not necessarily in sports, grounding a ball doesn't, uh, in baseball, being able to catch a ground ball doesn't necessarily determine life or death, but sometimes even in football, knowing how to make a correct tackle can determine life or paralysis. Um, in many regards, I think also if you were to babysit for us, our three and a half month old, this is a plug, uh, just kidding, uh, there are certain fundamentals of taking care of a baby that I would hope you guys would grasp, because these fundamentals of taking care of a baby actually can determine life and death. Some of you guys may have seen this before, but if you were to lift a baby, there are classic do's and don'ts of how to lift a baby. Um, obviously, on the right, grabbing it by its head and just lifting, not a good idea, all right? Just FYI, all right? But not just there, exercising a baby. You know, you want to play with the legs, you don't necessarily want to put them under the bench press, right? All right, just, I mean, it's fundamentals, but hey, they determine life and death. A few more f- for you. Helping a baby, baby teeth, you don't necessarily want to uh, give them the dirty uh, bottom end of a shoe, right? Um, and here's kind of one of my favorites, calming a baby. You want to hold it. You don't necessarily want to give it alcohol. Just, hey, FYI, I know you guys are in college, all right? Um, a couple other ones, uh, bonding with a baby. You know, you kind of want to talk, you know, be close. You don't necessarily want to give them caffeine, all right? Kind of basics, fundamentals, all right? One last one for you, waking a baby, all right? Air horn not needed. Just kind of, just, hey, just fundamentals, all right? Um, there are certain fundamentals of taking care of a baby. There are certain fundamentals of sports. There are certain fundamentals of even the spiritual life that are their foundation before you move on to advanced things. And in some regards, and especially in the spiritual life, the fundamentals of the spiritual life can determine life and death. That's kind of where we're going to focus this morning, really on two basic questions. What is life and where do you find it? What is life and where do you find it? That's where we're going to be this morning before we move on next week and the weeks that follow into kind of the advanced issues that have attacked Christianity and, and the advanced and difficult questions. But this morning, what is life and where do you find it? Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 6. This is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 6. We're going to start out in verses um, 48 to 51. If you'll turn the Gospel of John, verses 48 to 51. Uh, John writes this, or actually Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. 
This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Will you pray with me? Father God, we give you great thanks for new beginnings. Um, We give you thanks for the new beginnings that you gave us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you've transferred us from death to life. And Father, I pray this morning as we walk through this gospel, as we walk through this passage in John, I pray that you would teach us, that you'd open our eyes, that you'd refresh us on the very fundamentals of what life is, how you've designed life, and and how you've dispersed life. Um, Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you'd give us hearts to be responsive to you. And we even think of uh, a place where life and death is so critical right now in the place of Haiti. We ask for the people that are there, for the culture and the country that's there. We ask for your hand to superintend and to protect over the circumstances there. Pray that your life-giving ability would go forth there, that you would heal, that you'd restore, that you would repair. Father, I pray for those that are there, for those that are helping and lending a hand. I pray that with a hand that gets lended, with a humanitarian aid that goes forth, I pray that the gospel would also go forth as well. And that buildings and homes would not just be repaired, that physical bodies would not just be healed, but that you would do even deeper work in the souls of men and women, Lord. We ask for these things this morning, even for ourselves, that you would do something at the very depth of our being this morning that you would teach us, that you would refresh us, that you would center us on who your Son is and what He's come to do, Lord. And we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. All right, as you guys kind of start off at verse 48, verses 48 to 51, the first basic idea I'm going to give you guys this morning is that Jesus gives life. So as basic as that, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And Jesus' point is this, life is found in me. I am the one who grants life. I'm the one who gives life. But what is the life that He gives? How would you define life? Life, I think, is one of the most flexibly determined words in our, <laughs> in our vocab. Life, on one hand, can be a cereal. On another hand, it can be a game. On another hand, it can determine breath. It can be a medical term. And so, in many ways, what is life? In many regards, what is the life that Jesus provides? That's kind of where we're going to center this morning. I think in three different ways Jesus provides life. That's kind of where we're going to go. The first is Jesus sustains. So the life he gives, a life in which he gives sustenance. Uh, Jesus here is going to use a, a, the imagery of bread. And for you and I, in today's culture, bread, if anything, is an optional or complimentary item to a meal, right? And even when we have bread as a part of a meal, it's a fancy bread. So we have focaccia, we have ciabatta, we have all these kind of fancy rye, right? Uh, bread is not a basic thing of a meal for you and I. But in a Mediterranean and a Middle Eastern culture, and in that day and time, bread was the centerpiece of the meal. Bread was what sustained someone in the meal. And so in many Asian cultures, even today, they don't eat a lot of meat. You and I in a Western culture eat a ton of meat. And in many of those Mediterranean and Middle Eastern cultures, bread is the centerpiece that sustains and fills them. Well, that's different for you and I. You and I get that and understand that because if you and I have ever been to Johnny Carino's Olive Garden or Fazoli's and the meal takes a little while to come out, what happens? Breadsticks, right? You and I just go to town on breadsticks. And by the time the meal comes out, your appetite is completely spoiled, right? Um, and it happens not only in, in an Italian restaurant, but the, uh, the, uh, the Mexican cousin of the breadstick is what? The tortilla chip, right? So the enchiladas are taking a little time to come out, and you guys have gone through three bowls of chips and salsa, right? By the time those delicious enchiladas come out, you guys are completely full, right? Because bread can sustain, it can provide that which one needs daily, it can satisfy one's appetite. That's what Jesus is starting out to say here. He says, hey, I am, that, I am he who sustains. The life that I give is a life that will sustain you. And what he's going to say in verse 49, it's not just that he sustains, but he's going to go one up and one better than the clearest parallel they could have had. Look with me in verse 49. He says this, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. As Jesus is speaking here to a Jewish audience, they would have thought back to the Old Testament in which as Israel wandered in the wilderness, God had provided them manna every day, one after another. And so every day as they awoke, manna was in a sense dispersed and they could gather and they could eat. They'd have enough sustenance for the entire day. And every day they'd wake up as they wandered in the wilderness and there would be more sustenance. And so God provided daily for their needs. 
In the same regards, we're going to see as Jesus says, hey, I'm even one up and I'm even better than that. I can provide for you even better than that. And that when I provide for you, you will not need again because I can provide to your deepest need and to your deepest desire. I want to ask you this, guys, this morning, as you guys have come back from Christmas break, as you guys have come here this morning, what sense do you have of your need for Christ? Do you sense a need for him as acute as you sense a need for air and as you sense a need for food? Because what Jesus is going to start out to say here is that your need for him is even greater than those. Because life is not just in bread, it's not just in air, but it is in the very word of God. That's why Jesus will say in Matthew 4 this, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That which sustains you and I is that which Jesus provides. And apart from Jesus, what you and I need, we can never find and we'll never get. So life begins with Jesus. It begins with what he sustains and what he provides, but it doesn't just stop there. Jesus doesn't just provide for what you and I need in our sustenance. He goes even further and he provides even deeper for us in our satisfaction and in our sense of significance. He's going to provide meaning and purpose and satisfaction and significance. So he doesn't just sustain, but he also satisfies. Now look with me with uh, a quote I found this week. French physicist and philosopher says this, Blaise Pascal. He says, All men seek happiness. There are no exceptions. All, yet all men complain. A test which has gone on so long without pause or change really ought to convince us that we are incapable of attaining the good we desire by our own efforts. This infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite object. And what Pascal is trying to say is that there's a sense for you and I in which we have a desperate need for satisfaction and significance. You and I have a desperate need for meaning and for purpose. And what Pascal is trying to say is that need cannot be satiated or fulfilled by anything that is finite or even created by humanity. What Pascal is trying to push you and I to understand is that that which is an infinite need can only be filled by an infinite object. And so Jesus is going to move this imagery from just sustenance to the idea of satisfaction as well. Look with me in verse 35, chapter 6. Look up a few more verses earlier. Look what he says. He says, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. The imagery here is not just of daily need of food, of daily care, but it is that which is even deeper, of hunger and of thirst. Jesus' point to his audience is not just that he sustains, but he satisfies that at the deepest core of who you are, that which you yearn for, that which you long for, Jesus can satisfy. Jesus goes even to that extent. And he can do that because he is an infinite being. He is both man and he is God. And since he is in the form of man and in the form of God, he can provide for you even greater than anything else you could pursue. You know, I was thinking, in many regards, for many of us, I think we, we often get satisfied with, by such simpler things. But Jesus wants to satisfy at an even deeper level. And what I think Jesus does is he provides life. Is He's going to go even further from just sustenance and satisfaction. But he's going to provide not just for your deepest longing, but he's going to go and he's going to fix the deepest problem that you and I have. He doesn't just sustain. He doesn't just satisfy. But he actually also saves. And here's what I mean. I want to take you guys back to this idea. What is life? Where do you find life? I want to take you guys all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when we see life first began. We find this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God creates Adam and Eve, and this is what the text says. It says, The Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. What is life? How do you define life? Genesis chapter 2, God says that he formed man, he created man, and that when he breathed into him, he became alive. That there's something about life that is so intimately connected with the very breath of God. In fact, as you go through the Old Testament, the word for breath, the Hebrew word, is not actually is often translated, or is the Hebrew word ruach, which can be translated breath, it can be translated wind, but more often than not is the very translation for the Spirit of God. That which created humanity, that which brought humanity to life was not just dirt, it was not just material, but it was an immaterial movement and presence of the Holy Spirit himself. 
The Holy Spirit who indwells the believer is not just one who came in the New Testament, who came by tongues of fire in the book of Acts, but he was one who was present even at creation in Genesis chapter 1. He hovered over that which was unformed. Genesis chapter 2, he comes and he begins to animate and he moves into humanity and he causes humanity to come alive. For the, pet, for the paramedic who comes and he, he tries to determine whether there's life by looking for breath, is he finding life just simply by breath? No. Breath is not just a sign of life. What life truly is is not just physical breath, but it is the presence of the very Spirit. In fact, for many of you guys, more of your significant memories of breath are not just representations of life, but they're more often than not a representation of death, right? Most of the times you guys have memorable experiences with breath. It's not life. It's that something has died and has crawled out of someone's mouth and you're repelled, right? Uh, But breath is not just uh, a sense of a physical presence of life, but it is that which actually animates and is the very presence of the Spirit of God. What I'm trying to show you in Genesis chapter 2, what Jesus is trying to say here in John chapter 6, is that what life is and where life is found is not just in the sustenance and in the satisfaction that Jesus provides, but it's in a relationship that began all the way back in the garden. Remember, Adam and Eve come alive. They have the very Spirit of God, and therefore, what, what does that mean? What is the implication of that? Remember, they walked in the garden. They knew God. They walked with God. They communicated with God. They had all that God had provided. But what happened? Remember in Genesis chapter 2, uh, God told Adam and Eve, he said, In the day that you eat from it, the tree, you will surely die. He said, Hey, I've created all this for you. All of it is for you. You're to manage, for yours to enjoy. But there is one tree in the middle of the garden, and you are not to eat it. Satan comes along and says, Hey, actually, you can't eat it, because if you eat it, you become like God, and then you're going to have life. But God had already created life. He had already given them life. He had already given them life to the hilt. But Satan tempted them. He deceived them. And then when they ate, what happened? They didn't have a new experience of life. What they actually had was death. So what is life? What is death? Death was not immediately physical in the moment. Remember, Adam and Eve did not just immediately die. But what happened? Immediately what happened? They, they became ashamed of their nakedness. And they realized they had no clothes. So they looked at each other. They became ashamed and then become, in a sense, just uh, alienated from one another. So they clothed themselves. And then what happened next? You guys remember a cosmic game of hide and seek. All right? God comes through the garden and begins to say, Hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? It isn't that God has lost Adam and Eve, right? This isn't Marco Polo, okay? The point is this, that Adam and Eve had begun to hide themselves from God. They were ashamed, and so they had, in a sense, been alienated from God, and so they began to hide themselves from God. And so God hasn't lost them, but he's trying to highlight the fact that now humanity and God have been alienated from one another. Death has come, and it wasn't immediately physical. But what it was was a divorce of relationship, a dis, uh, an alienation of relationship, and now God and humanity were set apart. In fact, that will become even more physical and even more permanent because God is going to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. He's going to station a cherubim at the gate of the garden so that Adam and Eve cannot come back into the garden. And the point of death that came in the garden was not physical immediately, but it was spiritual in that the relationship with God had been severed. That Adam and Eve no longer had a relationship with God. They were no longer in the presence of God and they were excused from God's presence. What life was that they had, what life was that they lost was a relationship with a living God. And for humanity, as they're created, the difficulty for you and I is that what Adam and Eve experienced has been passed on to every human generation thereafter. So you and I are all born, actually, dead. You and I are all born divorced and alienated from God. Paul will say in Ephesians 2 that we're actually children of nature that are hostile to God. We're haters of God from the moment that we're born. And a little three-and-a-half-month-old girl that we have, you don't see that. She seems precious, but a day is going to come that she's going to rebel against our authority. She's going to rebel against God. It is human nature, the moment that we are born, that we are born dead, we're born disassociated from God. And so what Jesus is going to say here in John chapter 6, what you're going to see is that he's going to bring a restoration back to what Adam and Eve lost for themselves, and they lost for all of humanity back in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. 
Uh, look, look with me in the language, uh, verse 50. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Remember, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat, you will die. Here, Jesus says, if you eat, you will live. There's a reversal of the process here. Adam and Eve ate and they died. Here, Jesus says, eat of my flesh, eat of my body. And we'll talk about that in a minute and you will live. There's a reversal, a restoration of life and a relationship back with God. And, and what Jesus is trying to put forth and what he's trying to restore is the idea that what is life? Life is not just sustenance and satisfaction. It's not just your daily needs and it's not just a hope for significance and meaning in life. But what life really is, is God has designed it as a restoration to a relationship with him. And apart from that relationship, you actually will never find significance and meaning because it is only an infinite God who can provide for your infinite need for significance and meaning. And Jesus says, hey, I can fix that and I will fix it because I'm an infinite God and man. In fact, as you look through the Gospel of John, you see this idea over and over again that the life that Jesus provides is himself. John chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I love this, John chapter 17, verse 3, This is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God. Here's what life is. Here's the fundamentals of spirituality. What life is, is a relationship with God and walking with Him and knowing Him. For some of you that are here this morning, maybe you've never entered into that relationship with God. And I will assure you that whatever you have experienced is a shadow of what you could experience and what God has intended for your life to be. Some of you guys have entered into that relationship with Christ and yet you've chosen to walk in certain different ways that have caused you to short circuit and miss out on all that God has designed life to be. I don't know how you guys are this morning as you guys return from a semester and as you guys have had a winter break away. I'll tell you guys about a week ago I was reading a Piper book and was hit square in the eyes by the fact that the the last thing that seemed to stimulate me and the last thing that was driving me and, and I was hungry for was the very presence of God. And so in many regards, I felt that emptiness. In many regards, I felt that dullness. And so some of y'all may be returning, and I will tell you, Piper hit me square in the eyes. <laughs> because that which is most life-giving, that which is most satisfying, that which is most stirring of our hearts and our souls is Jesus Christ himself. And as you guys return for a semester, I don't know what your hopes are. I don't know what your dreams are. I don't know what you're hoping to live for. But I will tell you, if it is apart from Jesus Christ, you will find something that is not all that life could be. But life starts and it ends with Jesus. And all that Jesus has provided is what you need and all that he gives is what you most desire. And that's where it begins. But if he's rescued you and I from death and he's given you and I life, if he's reversed what happened in the garden, how in the world did he did it? Fundamentals of spirituality, one-on-one, here we are. Jesus gives life and he does it through his death. Uh, Look with me in verses 51 uh, to 58. Uh, Here is the means by which Jesus provides life. This is basic. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. Um, obviously, as you guys kind of walk through this section, it's some really weird language. In fact, it is this kind of language, and it was the early practices of the church that caused many in the culture of the day to actually think that Christians, early Christians, were cannibals. <laughs> Uh, that they had a Lord's Supper, which they communicated, they talked of eating or consuming the very body and blood of Jesus. It sounded incredibly strange. It still sounds strange, right? 
But what I think Jesus is referring to here is not necessarily uh, what we will later celebrate in the Lord's Supper, in which some will talk of in, in some kind of sense in which Jesus is present in the elements of the Lord's Supper. I don't think that's really what Jesus is referring to here. I think what he's trying to say specifically is that life comes from death. Look at verse 51. It says, I am the living bread. And he's going to go further here at the very end of it to determine and explain exactly how life comes. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He says, hey, here is where life comes. Here is the means by which you can experience life. We said, hey, what is life? And now we're talking about how do we find life? It comes and it is experienced and it is given because of the death of Christ. On the cross that we sang about, the wondrous cross this morning that we sang over and over again, that is the very centerpiece, that is the very starting block for Christianity. Because it is at the cross that life comes, that life is given. Because it is at the cross that Jesus' body is broken and his blood is spilt, and it is at the cross that the infinite God-man is broken. And the death that he experienced was the death that was a substitution for you and I. That he died in our place. So Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5 this, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That at the cross, what Jesus does is he dies in your place. That he takes your penalty for your sin, that which had separated you from God, and he takes it upon himself, and he dies so that you can live. And the reality is there's nothing you can do to fix the problem that occurred in the garden. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to appease God and do enough good works to appease him. And so what God had to do was send his own son to take a penalty that you could not pay. In fact, if you guys look with me um, a couple verses earlier, I'll put it on the screen for you guys, but this is the conversation that's going on as Jesus first starts this talk of eternal life and bread earlier on in chapter 6. He says this, Jesus says to the crowds, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? How can we earn eternal life? Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you believe in him. What Jesus is saying in chapter 6 is that the way that you receive life is that you simply believe in the death of Christ. There's nothing that you can do to merit and excuse yourself from the wrath that's coming against your sin and against that which has separated you from God. And that all you can do is seek refuge under the very death of Christ who's paid the penalty for you. That is so contrary to every single thing in our culture. We as an American individualistic culture have such pride in what we can earn, what we can merit, what we can perform and do. In every arena of your life, you're taught to perform. You're taught to perform by your parents. You're taught to perform by your teachers. You're taught to perform by your coaches. Every single arena and every single relationship you've ever been a part of has taught you you please someone by your performance. Jesus comes along and says, no, no. There's no way that you can actually appease or please God except by seeking refuge in what God has done on your behalf. And so forgiveness of sins, eternal life comes to you absolutely free of charge. It's free to you, but it was not free to God because God sent his own son to take the penalty of your sin on himself. So it comes freely to you based nothing that you could do, nothing you could earn, nothing you could merit. And so the only way to come to Christ is to come with open arms, with nothing on the table, realizing that you are broken and empty, and you start there on your knees. In fact, you don't just start there, you actually stay there, because the only way to appease God, the only way to walk with God, is by utter dependency upon Him and upon what He provides. He doesn't just save and reverse the permanent status of your life and give you eternal life, but He also sustains and satisfies you as you remain on your knees. All that God provides, he provides to those that are humble. So if you're here this morning and you have trusted in Jesus, I'd say, well done. I'm glad that you've entered into eternal life and that you have that confidence. And yet if you've gotten up off your knees and if you think that you can now merit his pleasure by performing still, you're absolutely wrong. God continues to respond to you and he continues to deal with you by his grace because he continues and he always gives you what you don't deserve. 
And so Christ gives us life. He gives it through his death. And the last thing I want to give you guys this morning is that he's the only option. Jesus provides life. He does it through his death. And he is the absolutely the only option. He has a monopoly on life. He has exclusive copyright privileges on life. There are no substitutes. There are no other givers of life except for him and him alone. So I, uh, we'll find in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You and I live in a culture in a day and time in which we are very uh, pluralistic. All roads lead to one place. You can live however you want. You can believe whatever you want. That is absolutely not true. Jesus says flat out, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no way, there is no truth, there is no life outside of Jesus, and no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And so this semester, we're going to talk through what is the life that Jesus provides, and how is he designed life for you and I to live. And so we're going to walk through every single arena of life, because what Jesus is going to say is, I'm the only giver of life. In fact, I want you guys to look at here the rest of this chapter, and I think one of the responses here of the disciples I absolutely love, and here's where I want to end with you guys. Look, look how the people respond. Jesus is going to say some strange stuff. He's going to say that he's exclusivistic, and look at how the people respond. Verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? The many of the disciples in verse 60 were not just the 12, but they were the, the many of the followers who had just been following and tagging along. Interestingly enough, earlier on, before all this, Jesus, remember, feeds 5,000. He takes uh, simple loaves and simple fish and he feeds a, a horde of people. By the time the feeding's done, there's 12 basketfuls of food. And the idea is this, God provides, and Jesus provides and he provides with an abundance. He provides more than you could imagine. And when he's done providing and you're done consuming, there's leftovers that are bountiful. Jesus provides life and he provides it abundantly. But what he's going to hit here is that he provides it exclusivistically and the people freak out. The disciples say, hey, that's difficult. I, I can't handle that. And look what he does, verse 66, and this is what I love. This is where we're going to end. As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Many of the outlying hundreds of disciples, the followers that were along with them, uh, were coming just because he was feeding them. And all of a sudden, when he begins to challenge them, confuse them, and maybe even uh, anger them a little bit, they're going to withdraw and they're going to walk away. And so Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and he says this, verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Hordes are leaving. Hordes are confused. Hordes are angered at Jesus. And he says to the twelve, you guys taking off too? What are you going to do? And this is what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is the only giver of life. But at times, Jesus will frustrate. Jesus will confuse. Jesus will anger. Jesus will uh, send you into disarray. All right. The question is, what are you going to do? Peter, who's been walking with Jesus, who knows Jesus, is still confused. He still considers what happened just difficult. But look at his response. He says, hey, you have words of eternal life. Where else are we to go? At times, I don't always understand Jesus. <laughs> At times, I don't always understand or like what he gives in life and what comes in my path. And yet, I realize that he is the only giver of life. There are no better options. There are no better alternatives. And even though I don't understand at times why certain things come, I can trust him because he's good and he's holy and he's the only one that gives life. This semester, we're going to walk through different arenas of life. We're going to talk through certain theological issues. We're going to cover sex. We're going to cover abortion. We're going to cover war. We're going to cover politics. Uh, we're going to go all over the map this semester and cover all different kinds of issues. And the question will be, as certain issues come, as we look at what the scriptures say, a lot of things are going to be challenging. A lot of things are going to get up in your grill and they're going to get up in your face and are not to be controversial, but they're hard and they're difficult. So we're going to call this hard questions, okay? 
as we walk through this semester. The question I have for you this semester is, A, what do you think life is? And based on your definition, where will you pursue life? And the third thing I want to ask you guys is that we go through the series, and as you guys hit hard questions, and as you guys hit hard things this semester, what will you do with Jesus? When school gets busy, when a girl dumps you, when suffering comes, when we hit things about sexuality that you may not like, what are you going to do with Jesus? Will you be like Peter? Will you cling to him no matter what? Or will you be like the crowds who say, I'm out of here. I'd rather find a friendlier uh, pocket God that I can manipulate, that I can control, and that I like exactly what he says. Jesus doesn't always fit in your pocket. He doesn't always fit and sound just like you like. The question is, what will you do as he determines and unfolds what life should look like and how life should be lived? Because here's the deal. If he's the only giver of life, then he's designed life and he knows exactly how life is to be lived and he knows it better than you and I. And so will you submit to him and will you trust him no matter what it sounds like and no matter how life looks and no matter what comes this semester? That's my hope for you guys. So we're going to have a fun series. I hope you guys will come kind of walk with us this spring. I think it'll keep your interest. I think it's going to be challenging. We will not uh, hit the fundamentals probably anymore this semester. So buckle up. Uh, This spring will be hard questions on Tuesday nights. Uh, We'll be studying the book of James, which is probably one of the most challenging books of the Bible. So um, if you're looking for an easy road, uh, we might have a few other options for you, all right? Um, but actually, uh, honestly, uh, we do have, uh, we're going to have two different studies this spring. One is Second Timothy, one is James. If you've never been in one of our Bible studies, I'd encourage you to sign up for Second Timothy. It will be challenging, but it won't be as frustrating, maybe, as James could be. If you guys have been in our Bible studies before, I'd encourage you guys to uh, jump into James. You guys have sign-up forms. I'd love for you guys to drop them off in the back. You can even buy packets in the back. Um, so that's this semester. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll, we'll break. Uh, Father God, you are the giver of life. Uh, You are the creator of life. You are the designer of life. We thank you for what you provided us in your son, Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf so that we could have restoration of a relationship with you again, Lord. Father, I pray for many of us here that are here this morning, Lord. I pray that you would revive for us our passion for you and that you'd revive in us a drive to know you and to pursue you and that you would cause other loves to fall to the wayside. Father, I pray that you'd restore to us our first love that you would create within us a burning to know you, a burning to walk with you. And for those of us that's not there, Lord, I pray that you would slowly but surely rekindle it. Pray that you would give us not guilt to stay away from you, but that you would give us a heart that would be softened to return again and to, to bend a knee and to return back to you, Lord. And Father, I pray for us this semester as we walk through this series that you would give us ears to, to be challenged, that you would give us uh, flexibility to hear how you've designed life, that you would give us open hands to take and to hear all that you would have and, and however you would have... Uh, lead us, Lord. And Father, I pray just for those in Haiti and for those that are dealing with stuff, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, compassion that would move us towards people. As we look at even at social issues this semester, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, not just a perspective on heaven, that we wouldn't be so heavenly minded that we'd be no earthly good, but Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be people of the word, but also people of good deeds. Um, And that our deeds and our words and our faith would go hand in hand and that we would be a blessing to the world and to those that are around us, Lord. And Father, I ask this morning that as we walk out, the Lord, that we would walk out changed, that we'd walk out passionate, and we'd walk out focused upon you, Lord. We ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. You guys can drop off sign-up stuff for small groups in the back, and we also have sign-ups for women's conference and for men's retreat. So feel free to jump back there in the back. If you guys have questions, let me know. But otherwise, we'll see you guys next week.